This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Daniela Brill, Tech at Work writer for the Washington Post. Today, we're going to discuss technology and the role it plays in creating more options for workers and what that means for women in the workplace. Joining me now is Lorraine Harrington, the president and CEO of Catalyst, a nonprofit that helps build workplaces that work for women. Lorraine, welcome to Washington Post Live. Danielle, thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, I want to start, Lorraine, with understanding the role technology has actually played in breaking down barriers for women in the workplace. Can you give us a little insight to that? Um, yes, of course. And your video was wonderful. Um, you know, flexibility has always been important for women in the workplace um, because women um, have a lot of caregiving responsibilities. So they're constantly balancing um, work and family and their other responsibilities. And of course, everyone has a need to balance work and family, but it's particularly burdensome on women. So technology, especially the, um, the um, video conferencing and the collaborative technology that recently has become widely available, has really made a difference for women. Um, and, you know, technology itself has been important for how we work, you know, forever. But in particular, with the pandemic, the the bringing together of the needs to work remotely um, during COVID, as well as the availability of this technology at this time, really is a game changer because people started to realize that when they were working at home remotely, they could be as productive, in fact, even more productive in some ways um, for many people than they had been. Um, they saved hours of commuting. They were able to be with their family more. They were able to still um, really be highly productive in their jobs. So this is a game changer. It's a game changer for women because now they can expand um, what they can get involved in. It's a game changer for employers because now they have a wider pool of employees. Um, they can have better um, satisfaction with their employees, better um, productivity, better innovation. These are things that um, have uh, come out of the studies we've uh, taken around how the pandemic and the remote work has really played. And we see this hap coming um, from what not only women, but everyone thinks about the importance of um, being able to have remote access because they find that they can be effective and have better work life. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your organization. Um, it works on developing solutions for women and underrepresented groups to have equal opportunities in the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Um, we look to build an inclusive workplaces where everyone can really thrive in the workplace. They feel like they belong, they can be productive, they have lower burnout, they can um, be innovative. So in order to do that, companies really have to lean into this as an important part of what their strategy is. It means that the top management has to think of how they want to have a diverse um, population and make them productive. They have to think about the policies and practices that will make that happen, um, like leaning into hybrid and figuring out, you know, what are your policies around that? How are you going to show up around that? Um, things like parental leave. What do you think about how do you um, provide um, the right policies there? You also need to build an inclusive culture, which means you got to understand and be empathetic and aware and curious about what your employees' lived experiences are, and then be able to create an environment where the you 
you um, understand the unconscious biases, you understand their work lived experience, and you can help them um, be supportive so they can be productive in the workplace. Got it. And, you know, in line with that, what is your most common guidance for companies who are trying to elevate their workplace policies to best support women? And similarly, what do most companies get wrong? Well, you know, that's a great question. In terms of what companies need to do, I really have four areas. First of all, it starts with commitment at the top uh, for top management to really um, um, understand and make this part of their values. For example, I'm in Houston, Texas today. I'm at a company called Enbridge, which is an um, oil and gas services company, and they won the Catalyst Award uh, last year. And they um, really talked about the critical things they um, were able to do to really change representation and inclusion in their environment. So first of all, their top management was really committed to this. Secondly, measurement is really important to them. They they measured um, representation, they, they measured inclusion, they measured their hiring practices, they measured retention, and they held people accountable to it. They've, they've evolve their policies and practices. In fact, they recently announced a big expansion on their paternity leave for everyone in the organization, down to the frontline workers. And they've been working on these inclusive practices, like training and getting people aware of um, unconscious bias. We At Catalyst, we have a program called MARC, Men Advocating Real Change, which gets men involved in helping um, with allyship and helping women and underrepresented groups um, thrive in the workplace. Um, they've implemented those programs from the top management down to the first line managers. So. All of these things are necessary to be effective. You really have to have a holistic approach. But many companies are often performative. You know, they talk about these things. They, um, and in fact, a lot of our studies say that many employees feel, especially coming through the pandemic and the George Floyd incident, that people talk about these things. But you know, two, three years later, you know, nothing's changed, and and that's demoralizing for people because it's really important. Um, people are prioritizing how you show up, how you're actually doing things, and and uh, and and moving the needle on these. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but I want to go back to really understanding, you know, how are women's workplace needs different than their male counterparts? Can you explain a little bit more around some of these things that leaders would need to keep in mind and should be thinking about as they look for a more inclusive culture? Yeah, you know, women, and then I also want to talk about, you know, um, uh, under um, uh, marginalized people. And, you know, we look at take an intersectional approach of women because they all have different experiences. So, um, first of all, you know, caregiving responsibilities are probably the biggest issue. We all know that, that women um, do more of the unpaid labor. Um, they have to balance career and family. We have a lot more single mothers that are really have challenges for balancing um, the workplace. So this flexibility issue we talked about is really important. And when we talk about flexibility, it's not just whether you can work remote. It's also things like scheduling. If you take frontline workers who have to be physically in the office um, or, or physically at their job, um, they they need stable schedules. Um, 
it's many um, companies change schedules at the last minute or, you know, at eight o'clock at night, they tell you, you well, your shift now is going to go till midnight and, and they've got to go call grandma and get grandma to, you know, stay for another couple of hours. And, and these things are really difficult. Maybe they have to go out and um, take a kid to the doctor and people are not aware of this, or it's not something you can talk about. You, you know, there's, there's all these issues that are really important. We've been doing um, studies on frontline workers. I mean, even things like physical needs, like do you have a bathroom on the floor? There are many locations that still don't have women's bathrooms. Do they have lactation? Um, do they have childcare facilities? These are some of the things that are, are really important. Can you have a more um, stable schedule, give people an opportunity to uh, to not to have more um, stability in what they do. All these things are really important, and they're really important for um, for um, people from um, underrepresented groups who may have longer commutes. They may have um, more difficult um, home environments that they're they're working on. You know, one of the things that you know we. Um, we think about is also like in the gig economy, why are people interested in some of these more flexible jobs like, you know, becoming an Uber driver? It's because they have more um, um, control over their environment. They they can work when they want to work. Um, they may not have to do these very, very long commutes. Um, and they're looking for work that's worth it. And, you know, it, a dollar or two difference on an hourly basis may not be it. It's more the flexibility that you have and uh, to meet your full life needs. Got it. And, you know, we've seen a lot of employers since the pandemic shift to more and more flexible environments. Um, right. We talked a lot about hybrid and just more flexible schedules and, and really changing the way they see the work model. But we've also seen a lot of employers pull back since then and, and kind of try to get back to, you know, the ways they worked before the pandemic. Where do you think we ultimately land on flexibility? And does that line up with what is actually needed? Well, there is no one size fits all. We obviously know that there's people who have to be at work at certain hours. These people have a lot of flexibility in their jobs. And even in any company, you have different workers um, that have different needs. So um, companies have to think about policies and practices that are specific to the the job responsibilities of the department um, that they're in. So um, most companies have a mixed environment. They have a hybrid environment. I mean, even going back before the pandemic, you know, you had salespeople that were working remotely. You had, it's not like this is the first time we ever had remote working, but so companies need to look at what are the needs of the specific roles and, and how do you evolve them using technology to be more effective and more productive and help people thrive in the workplace so that they can be innovative and, you know, that they want to work in the environment. So um, many companies' best practices is to really rely on the department to make these decisions. You know, not, not necessarily have a one-size-fits-all, even within the company, um, and to delegate those responsibilities um, to, um, you know, within the organization. But, you know, that being said, um, you know, companies have values and philosophies that may be different than that. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't think we can judge, but I would say overall, people are looking more of a hybrid environment and trying to delegate down um, in the organization to make the decisions. And I'm curious, what role does tech play in workplace flexibility? Um, I mean, obviously, we saw a lot of that shift happen during the pandemic, but are there still some unmet needs? Are there things that you think tech still could do um, to fill a gap? 
Well, I think you know tech has been evolving over, you know, since the caveman tech, you know, tech has been evolving. We are people who use tools to evolve ourselves. So the workplace is evolving based on the evolution of technology and the evolution of what people's value and is important to them. So I, we are going to continue to evolve. I mean, the the whole uh, um, chat GBT and generative AI is a whole new world that uh, many people think is more profound than the internet or the PC. It's, it's, it's really going to make a big difference um, in terms of how we work. But when we talk about flexibility, collaboration is a big piece of this. You know, we're going to be seeing, I don't think we're all going to be in little boxes um, for the next 20 years, and that's how we're going to be working collaboratively. You know, we talk about, um, you know, the metaverse. The metaverse is a much more um, um, inclusive experience where it's it's more, um, you have VR. You, you can imagine that we will have much more close simulation to in-person over time. Um, and that these collaborative technologies and the way we work is going to radically change. I mean, the workplace is just going to radically change over the next five to 10 years um, on many dimensions. It's hard to even predict how that's going to evolve. But the other thing that's evolving is people's expectations of how they want to work, where, where they want to work, um, and what's important to them. It's important to people um, that um, they think about meaning and purpose. They think about what their lives are all about. Coming out of the pandemic, not just women, but everyone has looked at their lives and trying to understand what's important to them. You know, I I have I do I had a personal trainer who used to come to my um, to my building in Manhattan every day at 6:30. He took a bus at 4:30 in the morning so he could get in from New Jersey. Well, now he works at home, and you know he's never going to go back to doing that. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's changing everyone's lives. Yeah, and and I want to go back to workplace flexibility and specifically women workers. Um, you know, we talked about how flexibility can help retain women workers, uh, and many women have even said that they would likely quit their jobs if they were told to be in an office five days a week. Um, but you know, when we think about that, how do these policies and also those decisions, you know, to quit your job if you have to be in the office that often, how do these things impact women's careers? Well, you know, today we're in a labor shortage. You know, we're 3.5%, I think 3.2% um, unemployment. People have choices um, and many companies are leaning into, you know, flexibility. So, um, you know, I, I think that the there's much more agency that people have yeah, and also the gig economy and being able to, you know, start your own business and be involved in that environment. So, you know, I actually think there's more agency for 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 women today than ever before. You know, it used to be, you know, if you wanted some flexibility to stay home when your kids were young, maybe work half time, that was, you know, that was took you out of the workplace. Today, I think there's more um, appreciation of that, more choices to do it, and also companies understanding that they want to attract and retain these employees, and they're going to have to provide some of these capabilities. And also, you know. For companies like even my organization, we are um, very virtual. We recruit all over the country, all over the world. We put people where the talent is, and we run a very um, a remote first environment. That allows us to uh, attract and retain a much broader um, pool of talent. And I think many companies understand that and appreciate there's lots of benefits. Um, it's a two-way street. 
And when it comes to technological advances, you know, we talked a lot about that, about your vision of how the workplace is going to change. I wonder if you think that both men and women are kept in mind equally as users during the development process, and if that has any hindrance on the workplace tools that we actually get. That's a very interesting question and one that is concerning to me. You know, most of, you know, I spent most of my life in Silicon Valley in tech, and we know that most of the developers are um, uh, men. Um, and um, they don't always think about the biases in the technology. So it is really critical that we don't um, incorporate these biases as we go forward. You know, it's, AI can be used to, um, look for biases. You can, for example, in the hiring process, there's software that takes, that really debiases some of the um, job descriptions, for example. But, you know, um, you know, large um, data models are based, they're, they're, they're based on the data that's there. And that's how, you know, machine learning works. So these biases already built in, um, it's going to create uh, more bias. In fact, there was an example that Amazon did this um, hiring, um, uh, um, software package, and it eventually stopped hiring women because it just used the data from who was being hired, um, and they had to stop it. So, you know, it, this this whole thing of equity in AI is, is really something that we really need to think about and um, be proactive in our policies and practices around them. And taking a wider lens, how far do you think corporate America has come in making workplaces work for women? And what challenges remain? You know, if you look um, over history, and Catalyst is 60 years old, so we've been reflecting on what the environment was when our founder, Felice Schwartz, came into the workplace. And my mother recently passed, and she also was in the workplace in, in, in the 60s. Um, women um, who came into the workplace in the 50s and 60s had a much narrower um, lens of choice and opportunity. You know, there were not really career paths for women in work. You And once you had children, you, you it was very difficult to balance that. So today we've come a long way. We just hit over 10% of um, um of women CEOs in the Fortune 500, that's double for over five years. So um, that's an improvement, but it's still not um, enough. Uh, what we really want to thrive, uh, strive for is that we really have true equity, that any um, young woman can go into the workforce and feel they have equal opportunity to, uh, um, to thrive and to accomplish what they want to accomplish and, and by their own definitions of success. That's why we're also widening the lens to look at, you know, from the shop floor to the C-suite so that everyone has opportunity to, to really reach their full potential. And in order to do that, we really have to do with intentionality, focus on the policies and practices, the work of the cultural changes that we've been talking about, you know, for the last few minutes. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end this segment. Um, Lorraine, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your insights here on Washington Post Live. And thank you for uh, talking about this important topic. Absolutely. And please don't go anywhere. I will be back with our next guest, Rosanna DeRuthi from LinkedIn in just a few minutes. So stay with us. The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post newsroom was not involved in the production of this content. Hello and welcome. I'm Suzanne Kelly, CEO and publisher of The Cipher Brief, an independent news organization focused on national security. 
Today, we're here to talk about women and inclusion in the workplace, one of my very favorite topics, and specifically how the trend of product inclusion and data can really help close gaps of inequalities and create opportunities for women in the workplace. Joining me to talk about this is Giselle Modis. She is the Chief of Product Inclusion at ADP. Giselle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I cannot wait to dig into this topic with you because, as I mentioned, it's one of my favorites. You know, it seems like we're seeing a trend, really, of tech organizations trying to design and create inclusive products. But I'd love to hear from you. What does that really mean and how does it affect women? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of technology companies now are being held accountable to how they design because a lot of organizations now have maybe some stipulations or some legislation or certain things that uh, need to trigger them in that, in that aspect. And also people want to join with organizations or buy with them or do business with them when they're actually humanizing the experience. So when I talk about product inclusion, I'm talking about humanizing software. That means being responsible with how we design, making sure that we represent yep, all different great. types of people and bringing accountability to the, to this landscape. And, and it takes a lot of work, to be honest. It takes a lot of intentionality. Awesome, and the way that we're looking at this, what you just asked about women, like data analytics takes a look at the gaps in which we can find out, well, where are women not being as represented? Or where are there perhaps gaps with their leadership, their promotion, their pay, performance, engagement? And when we start looking at those things through the lens of how we're designing our products by being data-driven, we can really find areas of maybe inequities when it comes to women and we can start digging deeper and understanding a woman is not just her gender a woman is also intersectional she's of a certain race of a certain disability perhaps of a certain age perhaps sexual orientation and when we really start taking a look at all of these aspects we can design with women in mind i really want to follow up on that point i love it uh, how do you think technology can help create opportunities for women at work I think tech is such a great space and a breeding ground for innovation. And we need different perspectives at the table. We talk about cognitive diversity all the time, which means you can't have the same people always weighing in on the same solutions or technology because you're going to get the same end result. So I think it's important that technology creates these opportunities where certain barriers can be removed. Uh, when we have a women's perspective at the table, when we start looking at those areas that I talked about, about, you know, being data-driven and finding where are those gaps so that you can design better. And we can help to create a culture where women really want to thrive and create more of a sense of you belong here because your perspective matters, your input matters. We're listening to what you have to say. Your voice is represented in this product, your experience, right? And so that's how we really need to start thinking about it from the lens of women. I love the idea of bringing tech into this ages-old conversation. When you talk about the inequalities that women face in the workplace, how specifically are you thinking about the use of data, for example, and how data can help make a change for the better? Data is funny because data tells on you. It tells a story about you. And so as much as you may want to uh, be performative in actions or statements, your data will tell how are you really making changes? Because if you look at quantitative data, it will show you again. It'll say, okay, let's assess. Let's look at quantitative data. What is that story telling you about women in your organization? Are there not enough women rising up to the ranks of leadership? 
Do we hire, you know, do we go through the process of funneling women through our candidate pool, but then we're not extending them an opportunity through hiring and recruitment? Uh, are women uh, not being paid equitably? And pay transparency and pay equity are so big right now on topic because it's about time to pay attention to these. And so looking at that, your data will tell a story. And it's not just about looking at what your reports of data can say and charts and graphs, but it's also looking at qualitative data. And that means simply listen. So what are women saying in the organization? Like, why are they staying? Why are they saying they're staying? Why are they leaving the organization? Ask people to take surveys and, and check to see what is it that they love, what they don't like about their work. What, what is it, right? And so looking at all of these things, both qualitative and quantitative, will really tell what's going on. Yeah, it's certainly hard to hide from the data, that's for sure. Um, I'm wondering if you have some tips, for example, that organizations can follow and maybe start to implement right away that might help put some of these sort of um, issues into play for companies right now. Yeah, I mentioned it before briefly, like um, my, me, myself, I identify as so many different areas of diversity. So I'm an Afro-Latina, I have dyslexia of neurodiversity. Um, I'm a woman of color, I'm a woman, identify as, you know, so all of these things it makes me who I am. And so if we look at this in an organization and we take this into consideration, this concept that we are not just one thing. So your women in your organization, they have all different types of challenges. They have different types of nuances going on in their lives. So I would say as a tip, organizations put on the lens, if you would, of looking at even the women at your organization for all they are and all they represent and all the nuance that they bring to the table, right? That will help you expand your vision uh, on what you really need to be focusing on. And then I would also say, like, listen to what people are saying. That is so key. We often get so bogged down into so many details, try to do all these programs and things in place that can seem complex when really all we need to do is lean in and listen. Again, your data will tell you this story. And reflect it, reflect what you learn about that in your programs, in your policies, benefits, rewards, even your, your ways in which you extend time solutions and all of that really, can go a long way and then understand the voice of women in the workplace understand the nuances the different voices that come to the table and listen to them and apply them because it's going to really create a difference in your organization i think you've laid out a great blueprint on how we really move forward with the issue of women and inclusion in the workplace and how data and technology factor into that giselle moda chief of product inclusion at adp it's been a pleasure thank you so much for being here thanks for having me now back to my colleagues at the Washington Post. And now back to Washington Post Live. Welcome back. For those of you just joining us, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Daniela Burrell, Tech at Work writer at the Washington Post. I'm now joined by Rosanna DeRuthi, Vice President for Global Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging at LinkedIn. Rosanna, welcome to Washington Post Live. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I want to start off with a topic we were just discussing with Lorraine on the previous segment, and it's really what role technology played in breaking down barriers for women in the workplace. Yes, I think we saw a tremendous sea change in how we work, where we work, and why we work during uh, the COVID pandemic. And not that it's over, but it certainly has altered how organizations operate. Um, remote work the use of technology for collaboration, whether it's video conferencing, messaging apps, and other ways in which we've learned to communicate, has made it possible for women to engage in remote work 
and be effective and productive. It's also made it possible for companies to attract a more diverse workforce during this time, as people often work in places uh, remotely located from their teams and their corporate headquarters. So it's been, I think, a, a tremendous time for technology to not only create new opportunities, but certainly when we think about how organizations can be more inclusive of women on teams, uh, it certainly has, has altered the landscape. So I want to continue with that thought a little bit and understand a little bit deeper sort of what exactly technology can do when you are trying to build uh, an inclusive workplace for women and marginalized workers. Um, what specifically, you know, how can we leverage technology to help with those things? When we think about flexibility in any number of ways, I can give as an example, I have a global team and we utilize technology now, not only for meetings, certainly, but we record meetings. So where it was previously required that someone always be in attendance when a meeting was happening, many of our meetings are now recorded. And I know that companies are doing that, which makes it possible if you're a mom, a caregiver, to not only be in the work environment in, in those moments that are necessary, but in those times when you may not be able to, to still keep up with what's going on. Certainly the collaboration tools that are used in the workplace as well make it possible for individuals to be in different locations and still be able to not only collaborate, but co-create and innovate together. And that's a significant sea change. The idea of being at the table no longer requires a table. What it re often requires is a PC or a laptop um, to create the engagement, the exchange of ideas and the ability to, to transact around more than just information. Um, and we've seen companies successfully use that technology as, way, as a way of connecting people, bringing them together. I certainly do that in my role as a leader on the team and I've seen my peers do the same. It makes a difference for women who in particular are juggling multiple schedules, as I mentioned uh, earlier, are involved with caregiving. And sometimes it's just not even viable to be in the office at 9 a.m., but that doesn't mean that you can, you'd can you be less productive as a result. It means that you can tune in through different modalities. And your job is really thinking about all of this and how to make the workplace inclusive for all employees. I'm curious as to why you know LinkedIn considers inclusivity such a priority um, at its at its company. Well, you know, for LinkedIn, our vision is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce, and we recognize that people come by experience and skills through different ways. You know, while talent is equally distributed among all demographics. Uh, certainly opportunity is not. And so we seek to find ways to help our members, more than 900 million members on the platform, not only gain access to opportunity through the actual jobs, but also to be able to gain skills, um, to build a network, which is so necessary. And what we've seen is that women are great beneficiaries of this. You know, data has told us that an individual is more likely to be hired in a role when they know someone in that company. And so utilizing your network is a great way to not only gain inside knowledge on the opportunities in the company and what the culture is like, but to also have a deeper understanding of whether that culture reflects your values, whether that culture resonates with your purpose. And what we see is that women are not only seeking organizations that are a reflection of their values, it's also become very important to Gen Z as well to know that they're entering an environment that is 
going to be doing good and helps them do well at the same time. So it's been uh, it's been a sea change over the last three years as we've seen the need for organizations to not only attract and retain talent um, during uh, the pandemic play out, but we've seen that in a time where there's such low unemployment, it's so important to make sure that we're engaging our workforces, creating an environment where people who traditionally have not been the leaders making determinations around systems and processes have an opportunity to grow and see themselves in the environment. I certainly recognize that in my role as a leader, sharing about my experiences as a parent, um, balancing work and family life, um, having a life that goes beyond uh, what we would call the nine to five when I began my career becomes really important for people to see the possibility in their own careers and to continue investing not only in the development of their networks, but the development of critical skills that we see continue to be important. Leadership, communications, management skills, project management skills, all of these things that are so valuable. And LinkedIn plays an important role in making sure that that our members have access to that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you guys have also done a lot of research uh, on these topics. I'm curious about what your research has shown on how employees, specifically employees, not employers, across industries are approaching technology and inclusion in the workplace. You know, certainly what we have seen in our research and, and uh, most recently in our, our workforce learning report that was issued in, the, in this last quarter, we've seen that employees are looking for environments that are going to invest in their careers, not only helping them build skills, but helping them find the next opportunity inside of the company. We've seen that individuals are 75% more likely to say they will stay in their companies if they can continue developing in the company, learning new skills, and have an opportunity to take on a new role in the organization. So we recognize that there's tremendous opportunity that technology helps to enable as people work in this hybrid environment today, both the technology that connects teams together as well as the technology that helps people accelerate their learning journey and learning path. And we see companies not only adopting these, but those that do adopt are the ones that are more likely to win in the war for talent. Speaking of adoption of tech, you know, when we look to the future, what role do you think a tech like AI will mean to the future of work? I think generative AI certainly will help people with tremendous productivity, not only in work, but in their personal lives. Uh, my wife just did a class on generative AI for, for seniors um, in the community. And it's fascinating to see that you know, we are so talented as individuals, but often we are caught having to juggle many things. And so where generative AI can help you not only produce answers and organize things more effectively, it also still requires that individuals bring their authentic selves into the environment um, to harness the, the product of generative AI for innovation, for collaboration, um, for product development, as we think about how we create products and services that meet the needs of a changing marketplace, that meet the demands of you know, a new generation of people who 
unlike my generation, are growing up not on TV, even they're growing up on video games and they're creating their own virtual worlds. And so technology is really altering how we interact with each other and how we play with each other, but it's also altering how we think about the work we're doing. There's research that we've recently done that tells us that since 2015, skills in jobs have already changed 25%, and they're likely to change another 25% over the next five years. So we know that technology can help us be more productive, and we have the same ability to utilize technology to gain the new skills that we need to be even more productive as we go forward. So with things like generative AI, I mean, you mentioned some applications there where it could be helpful for some workers. I wonder if there's any potential upsides or perhaps even downsides specifically for women in the workplace. You know, certainly as as I use generative AI in my home, I've already found some applications or hacks um, that make it easier for me at, at home, whether it's, you know, composing a message you know, to, to my family or being able to organize things or look information up. Uh, I live in a household that, that relies on technology all the time and it certain cre- certainly created greater ease. And with a 12-year-old son, it's a wonderful way for communicating. But I think it would be foolish for me to imagine a world where we as human beings and the differences that comprise our identities lose value. In fact, when I think about diversity, inclusion, and belonging, the real power of diversity may not be for the company, it's for the individual to know that their identity is welcomed and valued and appreciated and regarded. And as a result of our experiences, as a result of our knowledge, we have the ability to contribute with a higher level of discretionary ability than it takes to suppress your identity, to be someone that you're not or to pretend to be someone else in order to succeed in the workplace. The power of authenticity is that it unlocks that part of our thinking that enables us not only to relate to the environment, but to find solutions and answers that are relatable to other people, people who may be in our situations or live inside of lifestyles similar to our own, but more importantly, enables us to meet the future by not presuming that the answers of the past are going to be sufficient. That's not something that generative AI does. Generative AI borrows from existing knowledge and comprises solutions. I think it's still up to us as human beings and individuals to utilize our discretionary talents to create and build from possibility what's not already known. So short of it there, uh, could be helpful, but don't completely rely on it. (laughs) I think, you know, definitely before you trust, you've got to verify. And I think generative AI will, will give you that disclaimer as well. Don't presume all of the information there that's been presented is accurate. You've got to make sure that you're verifying. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So another thing that you've looked into pretty closely is uh, talent parity. And recent data shows that it will take 95 years, oh my goodness, for black employees to reach talent parity among management level jobs. What does the data say about women reaching talent parity? So, you know, it would take um, a couple of hundred years. (laughs) which I don't think any of us will be around for. But there is some interesting data that I wanted to share around Black women. One of the things that we are seeing in our research is that Black women are increasingly pursuing entrepreneurship, which means for companies, it's a real opportunity to create an environment that doesn't operate 
in at cross purposes or battling the the motivation for an individual to be an entrepreneur, but to actually see that as a value that not only adds to the richness of the environment, but to remove the barriers to what it is to be a working entrepreneur in a full-time role. You know, we have data that tells us that black women are more likely to engage in starting up their own business, principally because they need greater income. They're doing it to provide for their families. They're doing it to pay for bills. But we also see that the data also tells us that a, a black woman who starts up her business is dealing with tremendous headwinds around financing. So more than 33% say it's in, immensely difficult to find financing. 33% um, rely on their own personal savings to be able to start up their businesses. And still almost as many are battling with juggling, uh, providing for their families, starting up the business and still paying for bills like student loans. So finance is such a powerful part of the equation for why we've seen this boom in entrepreneurship, particularly among communities of color. And for women of color, the opportunities are significant, but it really requires something that we've talked about and, and I've heard other speakers share today, which is flexibility. You know, creating an environment that offers flexibility not only makes it more likely that you'll retain the women you have in your workforce, it makes it easier for them to navigate their careers and grow as well. And I think the idea of working in an environment that has principles and values that support your aspirations not only makes it more likely that employee will stay longer, but they also will be important to the brand you build in leading your companies to make it an environment where other people want to work and create their success. So when you said a couple hundred years, I won't lie, my stomach dropped just a little bit, um, but I want to follow up on that. And I, I wonder if there's anything companies can do to accelerate that pace for women to reach talent parity compared to their male peers and, and what that might be. I mean, there certainly is. You know, we think about uh, women in the workforce, you know, at LinkedIn, more than 45% of women uh, are in leadership. Um, or more than 45% of our leadership is represented by women to, to better state that. And I think one of the things that we've seen that's been particularly helpful is, you know, identifying talent and first retaining great talent. Second, providing sponsorship for that talent and mentoring. Um, it's important to create a community where leaders and emerging leaders, and in this case, women and women of color are able to see themselves. There's a tremendous strength that comes from being in community. There's also great strength and insight that's shared around, you know, how you navigate the environment. Um, as a leader, it's important for me to share transparently about my life, because I think it's got to be very just discouraging if you come into an environment and you're the only one or one of few and the perception is the only way I'm going to succeed is by doing it the way, you know, existing leaders who are often men have done this. And knowing the responsibilities of caregiving, knowing how even working women and working women in leadership still bear greater responsibility for the work that takes place at home, having an environment that's supportive, having an environment that um, gives me the space to learn the unwritten rules, provides me with a sponsor, a leader who not only is championing um, opportunities for other emerging leaders when they're not in the room, 
but is giving them opportunities to stretch and grow, is making sure they're not working inside of what we call office housework. Um, we've all seen people who engage in stretch assignments, but the stretch assignment may consist of coordinating the baby shower in the office as opposed to being put on a particular deal or transaction that gives them insight and perspective and exposure to people they may not otherwise work with. And so it's really important to think that there are so many things that organizations can do to be more welcoming, to create opportunity by being more inclusive, and to create the experience of belonging. And one of the unique elements of belonging is that it's not something you can create for yourself. You can walk in with talent and you can walk in with ability and even walk in with confidence, but it takes people in the environment to invite you into a conversation to value what you're saying and to apply those things to feel a sense of belonging. And I think all of us would love to have that experience. And I certainly endeavor to create that in our environment. And I know many peers who work really hard to create an environment where belonging is, is what we get to experience. Rosanna, I'm going to try to squeeze one quick question in, but we only have a few seconds to get it done, and I want to make sure we ask it, though. Um, as you look down further down the horizon, what are other new technologies that could shape the future of workplaces more broadly? And again, we're, we're short on time, but I want to get this one in. You know, certainly generative AI is going to be shaping the future of work for many of us. I think the one technology that maybe isn't a technology, it's really old school, it's relationships the ability to build relationships with greater ease. For environments that are very hierarchical, it's going to be a struggle. Know your employees, know what they're capable of and what their talents are, but treat them like people. Don't treat them like commodities. Don't treat them like the furniture in the environment. Treat them like the valuable human beings they are, and you'd be surprised how productive they can be. That's a great ending thought. Rosanna, thank you so much for your time and your insight here. My pleasure. Great to see you, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.